Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Salamisha Tillett. She is a scholar, activist, and contributing critic at large for the New York Times. She is currently the Henry Rutgers Professor of African American and African Studies and Creative Writing at Rutgers University, Newark. And with her sister, she co-founded A Long Walk Home, a nonprofit that uses art to empower young people to end violence against girls and women. Her new book is In Search of the Color Purple, the story of an American masterpiece, which is published by our friends at Abrams Press. Salamisha, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And first, Salamisha, before we dive into your book, I have to ask you, how has life been treating you this past year? As a university professor, I'm sure the environment surrounding COVID-19 has shaken your quote-unquote normal routine quite a bit. How have you been this past year, and are you currently teaching remotely? Um, Yeah, well, you know, I think like for you and for so many of us, it's been um, not just unprecedented, but so uncertain um, I am teaching currently a class that is in many ways in response to the class that I was teaching last year this time. And, and I bring this up only because you'll appreciate the move I made this year. So last year, this time I was teaching a class. I didn't know we were going to have a global pandemic, um, but I'm a creative writing uh, professor and I, I teach memoirs and nonfiction. I taught a class called The Art of Death. And so we were reading all of these books that were quite uh, magnificent and deeply meaningful um, and in the setting of a seminar. And then when we switched over to, to Zoom by March, um, our class was still very intimate. Um, but this semester I'm teaching a class called Writing About Things We Love. So I wanted to compensate for the grief and the loss that we, we were experiencing in our class and in the world uh, this year with being able to write about stuff, um, which fits into our conversation today, but writing about something that, that I have loved for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great swing. Thank you so much. Um, I'm sure your students appreciated it. Uh, let's, dive, let's dive into this book in search of the color purple. Um, you had so many people praise this book. Uh, Tarana Burke, Eve Insler, Henry Louis Gates Jr., to name a few. And the introduction is written by Gloria Steinem. But what does it mean for you to have so many people with so much weight behind their names praising your book? Yeah, you know, I, I was very careful in who I asked because the book to me, uh, Alice Walker's The Color Purple, um, has reached and impacted millions and millions of people. Um, but from my journey to this book, uh, there were there were a number of people like Tarana who founded uh, the Me Too movement or Eve Ensler, who uh, goes by V Ensler now, author of uh, The Vagina Monologues. In my own process of either being a student of this book or being a, a sexual assault survivor who's come to it to find a, a source of solace and healing. Those were the figures that, that helped me. Um, Anita Hill was another one that I really, I have no relationship with Anita Hill, but it was really important for me to have her read the book and, and if she felt compelled to uh, support it. Uh, and then Gloria Steinem has been a mentor and a good friend for a long time. And she, as she wrote in the book, has been a bridge for, for me and Alice Walker. Alice Walker and Gloria Steinem's friendship goes back to the uh, early 70s. Um, and my relationship with Gloria was sparked um, in 2008 in many ways around the election. This seems very old fashioned now, but between yeah. Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Um, and so 
I knew how much Gloria uh, treasured Alice's work and fought for that novel to receive a recognition that it deserved. And so I was just honored that um, to have her help shape my story about that novel. Right. Thank you. And Gloria Steinem uh, writes in the introduction to your book, it's interesting that publishers, scholars, and critics so often assume that white males like the Russian Tolstoy and the French Proust are great writers Americans will understand and love, yet they may resist the idea that a Black woman writer who shares their country and language will have a universal appeal here and around the world, uh, end quote. This is an interesting statement to me, and I agree with what Gloria is going for here, especially if you substitute, say, David Foster Wallace and Philip Roth for Tolstoy and Proust. Uh, is Gloria's statement here one that you agree with, and why or why not? Well, I think it speaks to why I wanted the subtitle of the book to be Masterpiece, um, because I, you know, The Color Purple, outside of all the accolades, is an extraordinary uh, piece of fiction, um, it's the first African-American novel to use the epistolary form. Um, it's the first American novel to uh, be told through the point of view of a Southern Black speaker um, and really uh, tried, Alice Walker really tried to capture the dynamism and the vitality of Black uh, Southern speech patterns, right? So on, on that level alone, it would be, you know, amazing. And then this book, she won the Pulitzer and the National Book Award. Uh, the adaptation of the film was nominated for 11 Oscars. And the Tony, the, the musical went on to win a, a Tony Award. So there's so, I, there's no other book that has had such a, a marvelous and such a, a celebrated life in its adaptations, much less, you know, she received so many accolades at the time. So that's kind of part of why I also think it's a masterpiece, right? One, the innovation, two, the celebration, and three, it's enduring uh, afterlife in American culture and in particular African-American culture. I mean, I think this is also one of the most memed books uh, out there. Um, when there was a, a Bernie Sanders, the meme of Bernie with his mittens went viral, his, his mittens at the inauguration. Uh, he was also apparently memed or photoshopped into a really uh, uh, in intense scene um, in the movie at Thanksgiving. So this book has had so many ways in which people have engaged it that I think that also makes it a masterpiece. And I think that's what Gloria is getting at when she's trying to to say that there are some books that we consider universal because we have been conditioned to think of the third person omniscient narrator as the universal uh, the voice in our head, or that because um, Black women are seen oftentimes as uh, so, uh, that's a provincial category, as opposed to an ever expansive category, Black Southern women in particular, ever expansive, and yet oftentimes people feel like they can't see themselves in the stories that Black Southern women tell. Um, and this book defies all of those stereotypes and invites you in, into a world that none of us have lived in, and yet we can see ourselves in Celie and see ourselves through Celie's gaze and, and the loving um, uh, community that she is part of and that she helps create. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, to be clear, I substituted David Foster Wallace and Philip Roth because as a bookseller, um, it is not easy to put Tolstoy and Proust in people's hands. Let me tell you, um, the, uh, <laughs> Tolstoy did, I think War and Peace did have a moment at the beginning of this pandemic, but um, moving on. Alice Walker was the first black woman to win the Pulitzer Prize in fiction. She also won the National Book Award. Why, in your opinion, did it take until 1983 for a black woman to win the Pulitzer Prize in fiction? And if you were a judge, who might you have awarded the prize to before 1983? Oh, goodness. Unprepared for this question. Um, Well, I would have awarded it to Anne Petrie, actually, um, for The Street, which is a, a novel that, um, is not often taught and scarcely read. Um, but Anne Petrie was a contemporary to Richard Wright, and uh, he didn't win a, a Pulitzer or, um, or, or Nobel, but he, his book was a bestseller or at the time, his book, Native Son. And what I love about Anne Petrie's The Street is that, uh, like um, Wright, or to a certain degree like Steinbeck, she's using a kind of naturalist aesthetic um, but she has this character named Ludi who is set in Harlem and she's navigating uh, racial oppression and gender oppression. And she's trying to make her way in that, that, that's, that, that the confinement of the city um, while she's raising a, a little a boy. And so it's just a really, really, Ampetri is such an amazing writer, but also that book kind of doesn't, it's timeless um, despite the fact that it's not, as read as I think it should be. Excellent. Thank you so much. I I don't know that book, but I look forward to checking it out. Um, Alice Walker moved to Boonville, California, because she one day passed an African-American boy cheerfully walking along the side of the road. Uh, Can you talk about this decision of Alice's, why she made it, and then talk about where she was in the evolution of her writing career at this time? Yeah, well, Alice Walker says that the the story of the color purple came to her when she was on a hike with her sister. And if you read my book or read more of Alice's work, you realize that this is a story about her family. Um, and this is a story about her grandmother, uh, Rachel Little, who becomes Seely, um, and her grandfather, um, who becomes Albert, and a woman whose name is Suge, um, who becomes Suge Avery in the book, Suge Perry in, in real life. Um, and her grandfather and Suge had a long affair of, of many, 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 many years. That was his first love. And he wasn't able to marry her because his father pressured him not to. Um, and so he continued his relationship with her, even though he married two other women, uh, Kate and then, um, Rachel. And the story goes that Rachel and Suge were in walking across a field one day, they have to use the bathroom. And Rachel sees uh, Suge's beautiful underwear. And she's like, can I have those? And Suge just gives them to her. And so that became the gem of the story, how these two women were in, in love with, or at least in a relationship with the same man. So that's the, the gem of the beginning of the story. But the characters uh, that, are, that come to her start um, entering her world in New York City when she's living in New York City. But she just can't finish the novel. She can't even start the novel there. So then she, she says she has to move to California. So she moves to San Francisco and they're still they're, they're nagging at her, but they just aren't coming into fruition. And so she realizes that they need to be in the country. And so she takes this trip up three hours north of San Francisco 
to Boonville. She says she sees this little black boy uh, happily walking on the road. And she said to herself, if I, to see a child, so a black child, so free, this must be a, a good community to be in. And she moves there and they, these characters just t- keep on coming and flowing and visiting her. And then she writes the novel within under a year, actually. So um, I had the opportunity to go to Boonville, stay in Boonville. And then she lives a little bit uh, now. She lives uh, like half an hour north of even Boonville. Um, and what struck me was not only was Alice Walker in search of a place for these characters to find her, um, but she also wanted a place that reminded her of her hometown of Eatonton, Georgia, without the segregation. That's what she says, with, uh, with swimming pools that she could swim in. And if you go to Eatonton, Georgia, it's gorgeous. I mean, she's, she's a woman of the land, from the land, um, and had a real um, intimate relationship with her natural surroundings. And you can see how in many ways she was trying to recreate that for her characters to, to, to live and grow um, and to dream. And so she was able to do that in Northern California. Great. Thank you so much, Salamita. Listeners, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Salamita Tillett. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Salamisha Tillett, author of In Search of the Color Purple, which is published by our friends at Abrams Press. Salamisha, the first time you read The Color Purple, you were 15 years old. How has this book pervaded your life and how has its place in your life changed over time? Yeah, I was a year older than Seely um, when I first read the book. I was entering my senior year of high school. Um, and I read three books at the time that were given to me by my cousin's girlfriend and now his, his partner of, of, of two plus decades. Um, the, the two other books were Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye and Alex Haley's uh, The Autobiography of Malcolm X. And I read these three books in conversation with each other um, and they just opened my world. I, as a black girl who grew up in Boston and New Jersey and also in the Caribbean island, Trinidad and Tobago, I was aware of, you know, sexism and racism. I experienced it as a child, um, but I didn't really have a sophisticated vocabulary, nor did I have a historical context in, in which to understand some of my experiences. And those three books really gave me insight into um, America, but also into how African-Americans have navigated uh, their identities and create, created community in spite of uh, some of the oppression that we've experienced. And so, and they're also, these, these are all different time periods. One's the Color Purple's 1920s, um, the Blue Eyes 1940, and Malcolm X is kind of goes from, from, from the 20s or 30s up until the 60s. 
Um, and so I'm reading them in, you know, early 1990s, but I'm, I'm finding some commonality with some of the experiences I, I'm having. But they're also works of art. Um, and so because of that, um, particularly the blue sky and the color purple, because of that, they kind of activate my imagination. They activate all of our imaginations as readers. And so that also provides like an alternative. It's not just, these are not historical texts. These are ways of understanding history, but also maybe providing new ways to understand our future. So The Color Purple is a book that I read on my own um, as a teenager. And then I read in college. And then I taught it when I became a professor. Um, and so that journey, I guess, of, of being able to return to a book with so many different identities of my own um, as a teenager, as an adult, as a student, as a scholar, um, also shaped my uh, ex excitement about the book, but also my experience with it. And then the other obvious big thing that I talk about in the book um, is my experience as a sexual assault survivor. And so I was able over time to understand the gift that Alice Walker gave us by uh, showing Celie's arc, not only of the trauma that she experiences in the very first line on the very first page of the book, but that Celie, through the love of other people and through her own um, magnificent um, sense of, of the divinity and all that was around her um, and her ability to find her own voice and to come into terms with her sexuality, all of that was just a, a revelation to me as I am in many ways uh, going on a journey of my own um, during my early 20s and into my 30s. Thank you, Salamisha. I am sorry that you experienced that sexual assault, and I'm happy that Alice Walker has been able to help you um, deal with it. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, no, thank you for saying that. Thank you. Absolutely. Salamisha, they say that you should never meet your heroes. Uh, I have personally found this advice to be unwise. Um, and you did meet Alice Walker. You spent some time with her and even stayed at her house. What was this experience like for you? And do you believe that you should never meet your heroes? Yeah, you know, it's a good question because I have been encountered, I've encountered people who have I've adored their work. And then you're like, uh, like, you know, the, you know, um, I'm working on a book right now about Nina Simone, who I've never met and never saw in concert live. And I don't know what either of those interactions would have done to my interest in her in a way she gets to, to live in my life, um, as an, an icon and as a muse. Um, but with Alice, I thought that we had so many people in common, like we had Gloria Steinem in common, uh, Beverly Guy Sheftall, who writes the afterward. Valerie Boyd, who is the Hurston biographer, um, is also a good friend of mine. And she's working on the edited um, collection of Alice's journals. So I had enough people who knew her. And I guess she had enough people who knew me um, to make sense of us getting together. I, I was intimidated because I knew so much of her work. And also she didn't know me. So how, how, much of a, how much does one reveal to someone that they don't know? Um, but I was able to spend two days with her um, in Philo, uh, California. I brought my sister, which was just the best thing to have done. Um, my sister, Shahrazad Tillett, is a photographer and a, an art therapist. And when the two of them met, they had an instant connection as healers. 
Um, I'm a teacher, I think in my core, I wouldn't say I'm a healer, but those two are, are healers. And so that was just like, I think Alice became even uh, more open with me because of my sister's presence. Um, and that obviously relates to the color purple, which is a book about sisterhood as well. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, intimidated, uh, of course, but I also had to be professional. I was there to do an interview. And so a lot of the, the way in which I describe you know, the, my book is about how I appear, but also what I'm feeling inside. And so I was daunted by that. And then also my interview with Oprah, I was, um, that was another one that, and I'd interviewed Oprah twice before that. Um, but this was in person. And so I was like, am I going to be late? You know, like, oh my God, like, this is like, like it's Oprah. Well, who, and you know, we're having our conversation after she's done one of the biggest interviews again, um, in history. So yeah, those two, I was really, I was nervous about. So. Right. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, and if you travel to Nina Simone's uh, home here in North Carolina, I hope you'll come visit us here at Quail Ridge Books. Yeah, I have to come back. I've been there twice. I would love to, oh, yeah. uh, to visit you all. Right. Yes. Yeah, please do. I look forward to reading that book. Um, the Color of Purple, Salamisha, received a problematic response from African-American males. Can you tell our listeners about this response and what you think about it? Yeah, it's, I think it's hard for us sometimes to imagine the 1980s today. Um, but, you know, this book comes out in 1982. Um, on a, it's part of a wave of African-American women writers many of whom now we we are, are central to our understanding of American literature, like Toni Morrison, um, Audre Lorde, um, and Tezake Shange. But it comes out of this moment in which Black women writers are getting unprecedented recognition for their work. Um, so that's one thing. That's a good thing, and that's happening. Um, at the same time, though, um, for everyday African Americans, many of who are living in cities across the country, um, they're experiencing deep, uh, racial repression under Reagan's um, President Reagan's policies, right? So this is the emergence of uh, anti uh, the war on drugs. Um, this is the emergence of stereotypes about Black women being welfare queens, uh, ch Black children being called crack babies, and real strong um, anti-drug policies that are uh, policing Black neighborhoods and leading to high incarceration. This is that. That's the '80s. That's the moment that. And there was a concern to have a novel that's about, in many ways, the inner life and the inner world of Black people in the South that wasn't as explicit about racism. I mean, you do have Sophia's character um, who is um, attacked by a group of white men and then she becomes incarcerated and then she becomes um, uh, forced into domestic servitude. And you do have the sense that Mr and his uh, father are oppressed as black men in the South um, by segregation. But the primary world of the novel is the community in which Celie lives in, the black community that she lives in. Um, and so her suffering is by the hands of, or from the hands of African-American men. And so this book was seen as something that was not necessarily politically useful against the backdrop of it wasn't a, a political critique of, of Reagan, um, but it also it was a book that was airing dirty laundry. It was showing the ways in which um, people, black people too, were also 
experiencing severe forms of violence in their home and that black women and girls in particular were vulnerable to that. And so that was seen by some as uh, reproducing this stereotype of black men as rapists, um, a stereotype that was very uh, dominant in the early 20th century and used to justify the lynching of black men quite frequently. So that stereotype um, is such a damaging one and such a, a violent one that any um, hint of that stereotype is something that's seen uh, to be uh, horrible towards Black people. And so there were a lot of people who took her to task for one, showing violence against Black girls and Black women um, by Black men. That was one critique. And then the other one was her healing is through this loving relationship with another Black woman named Shug, a sexual relationship um, and an a emotional relationship with Shug. And there was a lot of homophobia about that depiction. And this is the first time we see in African-American literature or American literature, two Black women love each other in this way. It's the first time we see that in American film in the adaptation. So between the trauma and the healing, uh, that, that, was, that was an explosive combination. And I guess the third thing that was uh, difficult about the book for some people, again, was this idea of putting Black Southern speech uh, as the central way that we're going to understand the story of Seeley. So that, that was, a, it was an explosive combination. But I don't think anyone was as prepared for the pushback, the protests, the petitions, the bans, the boycotts as, uh, as, as it unfolded uh, before them. Yeah, thank you so much, Salamisha. And along these same lines, um, sort of, I was able to ask a form of this question uh, to someone else who is published by your publisher, Clover Hope, um, as I was reading your book, as I was about to interview her for her book, The Motherload, 100 Plus Women uh, Who Have Changed Hip Hop. Um, and you write in this book that feminists are perceived then and now as hostile to the Black liberation struggle. Uh, why do you think this is? Yeah, that's, uh, I, I forgot I wrote that. But yeah, I think that maybe less so today, maybe at this very moment, um, there's a, a recognition of Black women's struggles um, uh, and Black women's work in service of not just uh, the African-American uh, Civil Rights Project, but also American democracy. I think we're, we're, we're our conversation is post-election and post-Georgia going blue. So I think that that may lead to different conversations about black women's contributions. But I think as a person who identified as a feminist um, and has always not necessarily felt like I've had to justify my position, but I've had to, sometimes I feel like I have to explain why I think racism and sexism work in tandem, work together to oppress people, but also are equally harmful. Um, in the US context, race is really uh, a defining race and racism are defining uh, characteristics of all of our lives. But I also think that gender, patriarchy, and sexism are are equally as powerful um, and equally as painful. And so, to be a feminist who's a black woman, or to be a black feminist, um, isn't always the most obvious uh, identity that people understand. Uh, you know, and so yeah, I think that we oftentimes think of these two political struggles or these political affiliations, anti-racism and feminism as distinct. And I think they really aren't effective if they're not um, married to each other. 
And I guess the other thing is with the color purple, if you, you know, try to explain it the best way possible, if um, one is trying to counter Reagan's practices, right? You kind of do need a united front. And oftentimes uh, people may see talking about domestic violence or talking about sexual violence as somehow disruptive to this notion that we're gonna be all working against racism together. And I found as a survivor, but as just as a person, that it's the harm done to the community that's bad. It's not the people who are claiming to be harm that we shouldn't be listening to. So yeah, I think that's a really great question. And it's oftentimes a difficult subject to explain, but hopefully um, people understand what I'm saying when I, and I think of these, these, these forms of oppression as, as really harmful to all of us. Um, and I, I don't want to choose whether I want to end racism or sexism. I would like to end them both. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that answer. Um, there's obviously so much more to talk about here, and we've only touched upon the surface. I cannot wait to introduce our readers to this wonderful book, In Search of the Color of Purple. But I do want to ask you one more question. Alice yeah. Walker has called The Color Purple her Buddhist novel without Buddhism. Uh, what does this mean? Um, well, I think that she understands this book and it's true, I, I think, as a deeply spiritual um, expression of love, of family, and of community. And through the process of writing this book, not only did she find herself in communion with nature, um, with her ancestors, but Celie's, you know, the book starts with Dear God, and the book ends with Dear God, Dear Trees, Dear Flower. I mean, it's, it's expansive. And then goes back to God and that journey, you know, there's so many ways that I've taught the book. I've taught it about Celie finding her voice, finding her sexuality. But I think for Alice Walker, it was finding God and everyone and everything. That's the real journey of this book. Um, and Alice Walker grew up um, right down the street from her church, her Christian church. And so I feel that she finds that this story of Buddhism, but not, but really one's relationship to see the God and everyone and everything around you, to see purple as a divine expression um, was her, her attempt to come up with another way of having human beings relate to the environment that they're in, in the world that we inhabit. Well, Salamisha, I do want to thank you for writing this wonderful book. As I said, I cannot wait uh, to introduce our readers uh, to this book, In Search of the Color Purple, and perhaps some of our readers to the book, The Color Purple, for the first time. Listeners, I've been speaking with Salamisha Tillett, author of In Search of the Color Purple, the story of an American masterpiece, which is published by our friends at Abrams Press. Salamisha, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Have a great day and get some sun. I'll try to get some too. Thank you so much. Once again, I would like to thank Salamisha Tillit for joining me. Copies of In Search of the Color Purple can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.